Hey church, we're going to be in Ephesians 1. We're actually going to get to finish up Ephesians 1. Um, listen, I want to take a little moment just to thank you for, I know you guys have busy lives, busy schedules, but for taking the moment to listen to this online it means a lot to us. And so I just want to thank you. Let me give you a brief kind of update on what happened last week. We, uh, we had a minor uh, technical glitch last weekend that that took away our our audio from the weekend, which is a bummer. Uh, it's happened one other time uh, since we started the church, and what we did then, which I really enjoy, really liked, uh, is what we're going to do now, which is I'm going to record just basically a, a snapshot kind of Bible study of a flyover of what uh, we went over. Uh, this weekend. And the reason I'm doing this is is really a couple. Uh, one, I know many of you serve in our children's ministry. And uh, you guys are, first of all, awesome. And so I want to thank you for that. But I know that you guys get, you guys miss uh, what, uh, the miss the message on in the service. And so um, I wanted to provide an opportunity for you guys to just kind of be able to stay with us and go with us through what we've already gone through as a church. And then, and then two, I know that some of you listen uh, from outside of Stone Oak Bible, and and for you, just thank you for for listening with us, joining us as we journey through books of the Bible. So it means a lot to us, and I just want to um, just want to thank you. We're gonna jump in. Uh, we're going to jump right in. So uh, last week, we we started Ephesians, and we looked at Paul's introduction in verses 1 and 2, and then we jumped into verse 3, which is this beautiful and long 11-verse uh, run-on sentence, right? So in the English, we, we put some punctuation in there. We break it up with a paragraph here and there. Uh, but that in the original, it was just one long sentence. And, and here is why that is important for us to start with this. Uh, think of it like this. Since it is one continual thought, one long sentence, uh, what we are going to look at right now is deeply tied to the first part of the chapter. It's continuing on in Paul's uh, thought. And so um, a couple things before we dive in. Uh, one uh, verse three, the start of our of our sentence, starts off Paul just worshiping God, blessing God, and then and then it leads then into the way God has blessed us in in Christ. Now, last week uh, we said that the two most important words throughout this letter is it's actually repeated forty times um, in Christ. In Christ, Paul identifies Christ as the the way that we the the means through which we receive the blessing of God. Meaning, Jesus is the way, the the only way, and that no one comes to the Father but through Him, but but in Christ. So let me catch us up. Uh, we we move from there, and we talked about the four blessings of God in Christ. Uh, in in the first uh, verses four through ten, and this is what we saw. And honestly, I've been thinking about these all week. Um, we saw one election that God, before He created the world, had a plan that would bring me to Himself. He chose me. He elected me. 
uh, to adoption, that, that he had a plan to send his son to make a way for me to know him, to be his child, to be adopted into his family. Number three, redemption, that he would create me, breathe life into me, and then he would purchase me uh, with the blood of Christ redeeming me. Um, and then the last thing we looked at in, in this chapter so far is forgiveness. This one is the one that absolutely blows my mind almost beyond all the others, is that in Christ, I am completely and utterly and entirely forgiven. So that's amazing good news. And, and we get the joy of continuing on in our beautiful run-on sentence um, in verse 11. So verse 11 says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Um, notice the shift here before we go into verse 13 um, in the pronoun. So up to this point, Paul says, we we, so in him, we have obtained, um, in verse 12, so that we who were first to hope, it's we, it's we. Now listen to the shift. Verse 13, in him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So we, we, verse uh, 11 and 12, and then he shifts, you also. So what's going on here? Well, the, the we in the first two verses refer to specifically to Jewish believers. Paul says we, meaning Paul included in this, have obtained an inheritance, predestined for his purpose and his will, so that we, the first people to hope in Christ, the Jewish believers, may bring praise and focus to the glory of God, right? So then Paul shifts and he says, you also in Christ, meaning you Gentiles. And for those of you who don't know, Gentiles means Everyone who is not Jewish, so it covers all of us who are not Jewish. So you, you also in Christ, meaning you Gentiles, when you heard the truth, the gospel, believed in him and were sealed by the Spirit who guarantees, and then Paul says, are both Jew and Gentile inheritance until we grab hold of it for his glory. So before we go any further, let me un before we unpack these verses, um, this right off the bat touches on a, a prominent theme in Ephesians. Uh, it's, it's, it gives a, a heads up to something that we're going to talk about in a couple weeks as we get to the second half of chapter 2. Uh, but for now, let me say this. One of the most beautiful things about our gospel, one of the most incredible, mind-blowing, amazing, uh, sometimes undervalued things about our gospel, our good news in Christ, is that our gospel is cross-cultural, meaning 
that the gospel is not perfectly at home in any one specific culture. It's multifaceted, able to live and, and thrive in, in every culture, in every community, among every people group. Um, for Paul in this letter, he's... He's revealing the way the gospel was not just a message that was received and revealed and reserved for the Jewish people, but that along with the Jews, Gentiles were being saved as they they heard the truth of God. And the salvation in Christ is the same. There's one way, there's one inheritance, and that is in Christ. So, So God chooses the Jewish people. He has a perfect plan from the beginning of time, choosing the Jewish people to bring his son into the world. But... The Son of God did not come only for the Jewish people, but for the world, both Jew and Gentile, that the the world would be blessed, that for all of those who call on the name of the Lord. And so Paul says, we who are the first to hope, and you also, that the gospel is cross-cultural. Before we move on, this is why the church in China looks so different from the church in Korea which looks so different from the church in South America, which looks so different from the church in Europe and in America and in Africa, which looks so different from the church in the Middle East. It's because the gospel is beautifully diverse and cross-cultural, and we celebrate this, that there is one way for all people, all nations, to experience the blessing of God in Christ, that they believe the truth of God in Christ. And if you think about this, the last thing I'll say, then we'll move on. Um, If you can just imagine for a moment the worship scene in heaven, that time in the future when all nations, all people come together in one name to worship their king. I'll never forget when we were in Ethiopia getting to go to a worship service and, and see the Ethiopian church have just this they just have so much joy in their worship and they have some rhythm as well. <laughs> and just for a moment, can you imagine what it's going to be like when all of the people of God from all nations, all people come together in Christ to worship on that day? Um, honestly, some of us are going to have to learn to move a little bit more, but um As we continue on in this passage, so last week, one of the major things that we talked about was adoption, that that God would choose to adopt us as a child of God, right? That, That in Christ, we've been blessed with adoption. Well, part of this adoption, like an earthly adoption, means that as a son or daughter of God, that you receive rights and privileges of of being a child of God. And so, uh, like we said last week, like I said last week, the moment that we adopted our little boy, he became my son. With all the rights, all the privileges of being uh, my son. And the same is true for us as a child of God, that as an adopted son or daughter of God, that you have been given the rights and the privileges of being a child of God. And Paul goes a little deeper into that here in this text, identifying one of these rights, one of these privileges. And here's the good news. Um, As a child of God, you have received an inheritance. You've received an inheritance. 
Now, um, we can hear that as if you've been a believer for a long time, you hear that and you just kind of, it's normal language for you. But here's the important question for you to ask yourself before we move any further is, what is that? What is your inheritance as an adopted son or daughter of God? What on earth is Paul talking about? Not only that, when do you get it? Like, do we have it now? Is it, when do you get that inheritance? And like we said last week, and this is so true, here's the warning for you. Um, this is excessively good news for you. Are you, are you ready? So we're told, I'm going to go a couple places. We're told in 1 Peter 1, 3-4, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And here's verse 4, To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. So your inheritance is being kept for you in heaven, imperishable, undefiled, unfading, untouched. It is being kept for you. And so the question is, what is that? Well, let's look at one more text, Revelation 21. Uh, It starts off by saying, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven, the first earth has passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw a holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So right here, right here, we're talking about that future time when God, when when everything is made right, right? That future time when when everything is restored. In verse three, it says, then I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, listen to this, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eye and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain for the former things have passed away. A few more verses. Listen to this. Um, And he said, and he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And God says that you need to listen, I guess. <laughs> Verse 6, and he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will, I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. And then the last verse that I'll touch on. Verse 7, the one who conquers will have this heritage, this heritage. And I will be his God, and he will be my son. So what is your inheritance in Christ? Your inheritance in Christ is God with us. No more tears, no more death, no more pain. A perfect relationship with God without sin. I'll put it like this. Your inheritance in Christ is being kept for you in heaven. And it is heaven. It is Christ. So here's what this means. As a follower of Christ, you are never without hope. Never without hope. 
No one, nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. You are never without hope. In Christ, you are a child of God forever. That means through anything, through the worst tragedy in the world, the worst tragedy that this world can throw at you, through anything and everything that you go through, you are never without hope because in Christ you have an eternal inheritance being held for you, being kept for you, untouched in heaven. Meaning, I mean, think about this. As a child of God, we get to experience the joy that comes from knowing that we will spend eternity with Christ. And believe it or not, I have more good news before our time is done. Verse 13 through 14, it says, In Him also, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, believed in Him, and here, listen to this, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Verse 14, who is guaranteed, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So our text is, uh, we've been sealed by the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of, of our inheritance. So the second thing we see here is the Holy Spirit is the seal and guarantee in Christ. Now, what does that mean? That you are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, that, that he's your guarantee. What does that mean? Well, Let's look at the word seal first, because to seal something means that you place a mark on it to identify it as your, your own, um, like a, a seal on a letter, right? You're, you're not only closing the letter, but you're claiming authenticity, authentic ownership, right? This is my letter. This is my mark. That letter is yours. It denotes ownership. It's like marking um, with a cattle with a brand, saying that's mine. And so in this case, if we think about this, we are his and we are sealed by the Spirit. Um, let's look at the word guarantee. Uh, this is incredible because the word guarantee in this text is the word literally for down payment or earnest money. Meaning the Holy Spirit is the down payment or earnest money for our inheritance in Christ. Uh, several commentators refer to this, and I absolutely love this. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is the first installment of our inheritance in Christ. And as the first installment, He is the guarantee that the rest is secure to come. Oh, it's amazing, right? So you, you put all this together. The Holy Spirit seals you, showing that you are His, that you are a child of God, and he is the guarantee, meaning that not only does he seal you as a child of the king, he's the earnest money that guarantees that you will receive the full inheritance in Christ. And so a couple things here that, that absolutely blow my mind. So number one, the Father chose you, right? Before the creation of the world, adopting or choosing you for adoption, calling you his own son and daughter. So number one, the father chose you. Number two, the son died for you, paying the price for you, fulfilling the father's plan for you from the beginning. And then number three, the Holy Spirit seals you, guaranteeing to you that you will receive the full inheritance that the father had planned for you from the creation of the world. 
So the father chooses you for adoption. The son, the son dies, securing your adoption. And the spirit seals you as a guarantee that you will receive the inheritance as an adopted child of God. Um, now let me ask you, what did you bring to that table? What do you bring to this table, right? Let's acknowledge something before we answer that, that, that God has done all, all of the heavy lifting here. That God the Father chose you before you were able to choose Him. That God the Son died for you while you were still in your sin. And that God the Spirit seals you, securing the eternal blessing and inheritance of God in Christ. And now our text tells us what we do. Ours is to simply hear the good news and believe it. I mean, if you think about that, are you kidding me? It's to hear and believe. It's, it's why Paul says in Galatians 6 that far be it for me to boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Far be it for me to boast because Paul realized what he brought to the table. He realized that the only thing he had to boast in was Christ. That's it. Um, I think of it like, like this. Um, imagine that we're in a severe drought. It's not a hard thing to imagine in San Antonio. For those of you who live here, you know what I mean. It's kind of our thing. And um, But imagine that we're in a severe drought, just desperately needing rain. Dry, the ground is dry and cracked and we're desperate. Um, now, I want you to imagine that one evening you're watching the weather and the weatherman says, we have massive storms coming our way. It's moving quickly. There is a 100% chance of severe rain. So you're excited. You hear this news. It's coming. It's coming for you. Well, that next day, sure enough, just like the forecast said, the rain rolls in and the clouds are thick and the rains begin. Now, how foolish would it be for you in this moment to run through the streets taking credit for that rain? How foolish would it be for you in this moment to run to your neighbor's house, knock on the door and tell him, see, I did this. I made it rain. I heard the news uh, that the weatherman said, I believed it and I made it rain. Your neighbor would look at you like you're absolutely crazy. Why? Because you didn't make it rain at all. You, you just believed and trusted in the good news that the rain was coming. But it would be absolutely foolish for you to take credit for the rain. Well, our faith is a little bit like that. Our calling is to hear the good news and to believe it, uh, to believe in the work of God. Our calling is then to tell everyone who is suffering from drought, good news, the rain is coming. But how foolish would it be for us to boast or take credit for the rain? Instead, we boast in our God who brings the rain. We boast in Christ. And God chose us before he created the world that Jesus died for us and that the Spirit seals that work forever. And we get the opportunity, the, the pleasure to boast in that. And so last week, we said often that all this should drive one response in us, and that is worship. And, and here in our, in our text, Paul reminds us of that again, of that last sentence to the praise of his glory. So Paul starts his sentence in worship, and he ends there as well. It's bookends of worship. 
Um, one, uh, this is probably the most amazing run-on sentence that it has ever been um, here. And so let me recap it, and then I want to do one final thing, and that's it. Um, so looking at verses 3 through 14, we read, God has blessed us in Christ by choosing us, adopting us into his family through Christ, redeeming us through the blood of Christ, forgiving us of our sins, in Christ and giving us an inheritance that is eternal and beautiful and that is secure in Christ through the Holy Spirit. And ours is to hear it, hear that good news, um, and to believe it, and to believe it. And um, we're going to end, so chapter 1, and we're going to end it a little differently. Um, what I want to do, I'm going to read the next couple of verses for us. And what we're going to see here is profoundly important for us to see. Um, verse 15 says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love toward all the saints, uh, verse 16, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. So Paul says, For this reason, meaning because of the uh, the amazing good news of the gospel that, that I've just shared with you, because I have heard of your faith and your love. He thinks about them, about this church, and now he gives us the, his, his prayer for this church, for this community of faith. And so in light of the gospel, this is how Paul prayed for this church in Ephesus. So let's look at verse 17. And keep in mind, as I read this, this is a prayer for the church, for Christians. So verse 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his might? That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places for far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So this is Paul's prayer for this church, for the spirit of wisdom and of knowledge, for their eyes to be, of their heart to be opened and, and enlightened, that they would know the glorious riches of being in Christ, that they would know the power of God in Christ. And, and as I read that, I thought, I don't often pray like this for, for, for Christians, for the church. Um, as I read this, I thought, I, I pray like this often for people who do not yet know Christ, that they would have their eyes open to the gospel, that they would see the wisdom of God, know the riches of God, um, experience and know the power of Christ. I mean, but I don't pray like this for the church as much as I should. It's almost as if I, I think that once you come to know Christ, you don't need your heart to be opened anymore. Um, and, and we all know that that is just not true. Um, 
our eyes and our hearts need to be open daily to the gospel. And so Paul's prayer is that they truly know, believe, and that their hearts are open to the truth of God in Christ. So let me put it like this. It's one thing to be told that you are loved. It's another thing completely to believe that you are loved, to feel that you are loved, to be overwhelmed that you are loved. And Paul says, I just told you that you are loved, but my prayer is that you believe that you are loved, that you feel that you are loved, that you are overwhelmed because of the love of God in Christ. And that's Paul's prayer for, for these believers. And, and that, that what they know about God in Christ sinks into their hearts that they don't lose their first love. Instead, that their affections are stirred for, for Christ. And so from this text, and we'll finish with this, um, here's the application for us as we look at this text. Uh, we need to pray for our church, for each other. Um, uh, typically, we we have a, a you know a, you come to church, you sing, you hear a message, and you take home points of application, right? And that's all good. But but for this, I think the application needs to just happen right here in this moment uh, to apply this 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 message right here. And so, what I want to do is I want to end this. Um, with just a prayer, a prayer that I want you to join in with me. So as I'm praying, don't just listen to it, but wherever you are, I just encourage you, pray with me. And as we do, pray specifically for the church. If, uh, if Stone Oak Bible Church is your home, I want you to think about the, the brothers and sisters that you worship with every weekend, and I want you to pray specifically for them. Um, if Stone Oak is, is not your home, if you're from out of town or wherever, um, then what I want to encourage you to do is think of your church family. And I want you to think of them, think of them by name, and I want you to pray specifically for them as a way of just praying this prayer that Paul prayed for this church over the church. And I, I think that's a fitting way for us to end. To end. So let me, let me pray. Uh, God, I pray for the church. I thank you, first and foremost, for this church, uh, for the people you've brought here, for what you have done already in us and through us here in this church. And um, in this moment, we're focused on on this prayer from Paul in your word. And, and God, we just pause and we want to simply pray this scripture over our church. And so, God, we, we pray that you, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Father of glory, that you give the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of yourself, in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And, and we pray that our eyes, the eyes of our hearts are, are opened and enlightened, that we may know what is the hope, the hope that you've, to which you've called us, um, that, that we may know the riches of of your glorious inheritance in the saints. God, that we may know what is the immeasurable greatness of your power toward us who believe. In accordance to the working of your great might and power, that, that same power that worked in Christ as you raised him from the dead, as you seated him in power at your right hand, 
that power that is far above all rulers, powers, authorities, and dominion, and that is above every name throughout all time. Now you placed all things under his feet, under the authority of Christ, and you gave him as head over the church. And so as the church, we know that we are his body, that we are filled by his spirit for his glory. And now God, help us to know you more. Help us to believe you more. Help us to feel you and to be overwhelmed by the fact that we are yours in Christ, children of God. And all of this is in the name of Jesus Christ. All of this is because we are in Christ that we pray. Amen.